Good morning. Buenos dias. We're used to having an interpreter, so if Jimmy and I are talking and we look to our right, it's because usually there's somebody standing there and speaking in Spanish or English. Um, thank you for letting us come and do this. We're super excited to be with you. And this is our girls' first trip to England, Britain, the UK, whatever you guys call yourself today. Mexico, we only have one name. We're just Mexico. Um, but before Jimmy teaches, I just had a word that I wanted to um, share with you and um, pray for something. And when I walked into the building, I felt the prayers of you guys for your family members that don't know the Lord yet. And it instantly reminded me of a testimony of our our beautiful niece who's 23 years old. And um, she was not raised in a Christian home, has never known Jesus, has never known Jesus other than him demonstrated through our family. And it was a year ago on Easter Sunday that our daughter, Tony who works at um, Jesus Culture in Sacramento, was there, and they were doing, I don't know what it's called. A prayer wall. A prayer wall. And um, Zach had them write out the person in their family that they were praying for and who they were declaring would come to see the Lord in a certain amount of time. And so Tony wrote her name, our niece's name down, and rolled it up and put it in the prayer wall. And it was exactly one year later on Easter Sunday that we had brought um, our niece home with us to spend Easter in Mexico with us. And Jimmy was teaching that morning. And before Jimmy was even able to say, if you would like to know the Lord, she jumped out of her seat and ran to the front and just stood there. Just stood there in front of him and was just weeping. And our um, team and our family surrounded her and got to love on her and pray for her. And she, since then, has fallen madly in love with Jesus and has is doing things that she doesn't know why. She doesn't have any Bible background. She's just like, I just feel like I should be doing this. And it's been an, a really great journey, and she's going to go to our School of Missions in September. But I felt that when I came in. And so I just wanted to give you guys the opportunity. Um, well, actually, I just wanted to declare over you that that same thing was going to be happening to you and your families, and that it was going to take less than a year. And I thought it was interesting that um, that man, I didn't get his name, um, that was up here doing the transition, um, that he was sharing about um, the harvest and you guys going to double services in September. And I just feel God all over that. That's such a good idea. But I saw um, during worship, I saw Jesus running into different parts of your city. And he was going to a certain homeless person and he was enveloping them with your love, your love and his love, and that homeless person was coming back into family. And then he ran up an office building and into an office where there was a man sitting at his computer. And Jesus enveloped him with your love and his love, and that man walked out of the office building and started searching out family members that he hadn't spoken to in years. And he went into a department store to a lady that was standing behind um, a sales counter. And again, like enveloped them in your love and his love, and that woman returned to family. 
And so I just want to take a second that if this is you and you've been going after a family member, I would like you to stand up because I just feel like it's a prophetic declaration that we're saying yes and amen to what God wants um, for your community and for that family member. And I just want to declare some things over you. So if that's you, be bold, be brave. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you have such good ideas and that you're not only just telling one person, that you're telling multiple persons, peoples, what you want to do in the city of Manchester and in the nation of England. And Father, we just see you like hooking people and dragging them back in. And we see you enveloping them with your love and them running back into family. And we thank you that you have been in hot pursuit of our family and that our prayers have laid a pathway to them, that the angelic presence is going to just kick it up a notch around our family, that they're going to feel things that they don't understand and they're going to be looking for us for answers. And so we just declare that in the next two months, that in the next two months that they would feel things and know things that they would question. They wouldn't understand why, and they would start searching for answers, and that would bring them closer to you and to us as a family. We thank you for the testimony of Taylor. We thank you for Tony's, for Tony's perseverance in prayer, and that it, it paid. And Father, we just we bless this congregation, this family. With that same testimony, you said that prophecy and testimony means that if you did it once, you're going to do it again. And we say yes and amen to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. You guys good this morning? Yes, it's so good to be with you guys. Um, we have been, uh, well, part of the Bethel family for a really long time. We kind of grew up there and, and uh, well, Gina kind of grew up there with them and I really grew up in Mexico, but I was there before and then became part of the Jesus Culture family. And uh, Banning actually came to Mexico on, on one of his very first missions trips leading the youth group. And, and here's what I'll say about Banning. He, he's not here to defend himself, so. But uh, he, he only came once <laughs> at the condition of our ministry where it was. There was a lot of camping and there was a lot of digging. And, uh, and, and he, he altered his course of missions trips after that to speaking and hotels, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but we are, we're super honored to be part of the Jesus Culture family. We actually, um, we, we just hosted Jesus Culture Missions Experience. It's really one of our, our favorite weeks of the year. Um, I know two of you guys were there, and I don't know if anybody else was. Uh, but an incredible four or five days. We saw so many people healed, saved. Um, one of my favorite things um, that we've been seeing the Lord do in the last uh, almost year is we're all going after cities. Like We want to see our city saved, our nation transformed. And uh, we've been praying into that for years and believing it's going to happen in our lifetime or tomorrow. And... Um, and, and about a year ago, we started praying into, God, if we, if we want to see cities saved, we need to see households saved first. And so we're accustomed to seeing person after person give their life to Jesus, but it was like, God, we want to see households. We need to see increase. And so we've been seeing that over the last year, but um, I think it was on Friday or Saturday, all of the, everyone out to, went out to do outreach on the cities, and we, I think we saw four entire households give their lives to Jesus. Not just one. 
but everybody in the house, and so I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm going to, I was going to, I'm probably going to share almost the same thing I did then, so you guys get a little repeat. It's just where I'm living, and I want to talk about faith this morning, and, and really just about um, kind of the process to faith. And um, I was I, I was born into the church. I have I have really no memories without Jesus, and and I love that. But there's there's um, the more He challenges me to grow, the more I realize there's it's not just oh I arrived at a place of faith, but there's I arrive at a place of faith, and then He calls me deeper, and He calls me and challenges me to go further than 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 I actually have faith for right now. When my, I was 10 years old and my, my mom and dad called my sister and myself in Northern California into the family room and they said, hey, do you remember that orphanage in Mexico that we visited? It was actually uh, an orphanage that Phil actually served at for like six months. And, um, and, and we were like, yes, it was great. It was so much fun. We loved it probably because we went to Disneyland on the way home. And um, they took that opportunity, and they were like, good, we're glad you liked it so much because, because we were a word from the Lord to move to Mexico and take care of abused and abandoned children, and, and we're actually moving to Mexico. And, and at 10 years old, like, all of this emotion welled up in me, and I was like, you're totally wrong. We shouldn't go. And uh, they didn't listen to me at all. And after within six months, they sold their businesses, um, everything that they had except for two cars. They packed us up and they moved us to a country. They didn't speak the language. They didn't have a, a set plan. All they had was a word from the Lord to move to Mexico. And uh, my parents were absolutely amazing and listening to the voice of the Lord and doing exactly what he said. And uh, it took them a year and a half of, of work um, before they, they found a piece of property and built and got the first kids into the orphanage. And they, they genuinely invested everything that they had in the U.S. They invested it all into those first two years. They, they, they put all of their personal finance in. We didn't have a big network of churches that we knew. And uh, we got to this place where we had, the only thing we had was two orphanage homes and about 40 kids. Those 40 kids Actually, a significant amount of them became my brothers and sisters, and most of our senior team is now leading the entire ministry are all first-generation orphanage kids. Um, and we, we, we genuinely pride ourselves on we're not, we're not an orphanage. We are an orphanless orphanage um, because everybody's got family, and the moment you step through the doors, you become family. Um, so we got into about year two, 40 kids, and my mom, my dad called a staff meeting. I was 12 years old at the time, and, uh, and he called us into a, a travel trailer was the office because we only had two orphanage homes, and a uh, tiny staff. There was about six people, and I was 12 years old. I was part of the staff, and um, I genuinely was part of the staff. I was 12 years old. I was the bus driver. Uh, I know. Things are different now. <laughs> But there was, there was so few staff that my dad would leave to go do something, and all of the kids had to go to elementary school about three miles away. And this was dirt roads, you know, farm country, dirt roads, and, and my mom refused to drive the bus. And so my dad was like, Jimmy will do it. And I was so small at 12 years old, like, I actually had to choose, like, okay, am I going to push the clutch all the way in or see? <laughs> so I'd be like... Okay, straight away, nobody's coming. Okay, shift. Go. Okay, good, we made it. And um, So we had a tiny staff, and we're in the staff meeting, and my mom and dad start explaining. They're like, listen, we're out of money. 
And we, we'd heard that before, and, and my dad was like, no, no, not like before, like, we're out of money, like, we've called everybody we can call, our credit cards are maxed out, we have nothing, we have nothing that we can sell, we're just, we're tapped, we don't know, we don't know what to do, we're out of money. And, he, and then he, they proceeded to say, listen, it's not like we're just out of money, it's like next Tuesday, we're out of food, like next Tuesday lunch, the food's going to be gone, we rationed it out. And um, so everybody's talking and we're praying and, and one staff member goes, listen, if, if you can't feed the kids, we should make arrangements to send them somewhere else. And the reality was is there, there was nowhere for them to go. I mean, we were the very end of the road. Most of the kids that we had at that point came to us the day we opened their doors out of places like, um, well, homelessness. And, uh, and so we're going, like, my dad's like, that's not an option. And so the the entire conversation, well, then what are we going to do? And I remember my mom and dad sitting there going like, like, listen, we don't know exactly what we're going to do. We don't, we don't know where the money's going to come from. We don't know where the food's going to come from. The only thing that we're absolutely sure of is that he told us to come. And so we did. And this is where we are. And that's, that's all we have. And that's all that we're going to be able to hold on to because we don't see another way out of this. And so he, the, the mandate was just like, just pray. Just pray from now till Tuesday. So Tuesday morning came and nothing had changed. I'm standing in front of the, the orphanage house with my dad. And that one staff member walked up to my dad and goes, hey, like, it's Tuesday morning. And I remember my dad, he, he's looking at him and he pauses for a moment and he goes, he's a little irritated and he goes, but it's not lunch yet. And he turns around and he, and he walks away. And so I'm walking with my dad and I'm like, dad, like, so like, it is Tuesday, so like, what's going to happen? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> and um, so we were, we were in a really, really rural location. We're the end of a 10-mile dirt road. Nobody came to us unless they were lost. Probably an hour after that conversation, um, this big truck comes driving into onto our campus. And um, a bunch of us kids go running up there because nobody ever came. And my dad, my dad walks up, and, and my dad goes, hey, are you lost to the driver? And he's getting down out of the truck, and he goes, no, I'm not lost. I'm from a chicken ranch 10 miles west of here, and we just felt like you guys could use some chicken. And so we're all super excited, and and we're just going, all of us kids are kind of, we're already moving to like, oh my gosh, this is like, a miracle in the Bible. And, um, and so the driver goes, listen, listen. And we look at the back of the truck. It's a big flatbed truck filled with cages. Only this isn't like chicken. We're from San Francisco. Like, this isn't like chicken from the store that comes in a package. This was 500 live chickens. And so like, he's like, listen, you can have the chickens, but, but you can't have my cages. I need the cages. And so we're, we found like the shed and we're like this tiny little shed and we're like, we'll put them all in there. We cram all these chickens into it. And then, and then the tr- guy drives away and we're all excited. Like, this is amazing. We have food kind of. And, and, um, and my dad and me, we're standing there and we're like, we don't know how to kill or clean a chicken. And it was actually my sister now. She's our base director. She was one of the first girls in the orphanage and she was, she was our base director in Mexico now. She's like 10 years old and she's like, oh, I do. And she reaches in the shed, grabs it. And I'm like, oh, and she pulls it out by the head and just, and, and like she's holding the head and the chicken just ran away. The body ran away. And I was like, oh, that's how you kill him. And so we call it like the great slaughter celebration began. And kids, it's all kids. And we're killing chickens and boiling, you know, dipping them in hot water and plucking feathers. And all at the same time, it's like a worship service. And, um, and so this one is actually disgusting. And this, and this, one of our, one of my brothers, 
um, growing up, he still won't eat chicken because <laughs> he ate so much of it, and it was so it was, it was scarring. He needs to be healed of it. But um, it, while we're doing it, that's one staff member walks up to my dad. I think my dad's plucking feathers or something, and and he's like, "Listen, you know that was amazing, but you can't feed kids just chicken." And my dad was like, well, if that wasn't good enough, I can't wait to see what comes next. And so, like, so I'm not kidding, like, we're killing chickens, and another truck comes driving in. This one's a big box van. Same thing, a couple of us go up, because the rest are killing chickens. And um, and we go up, and we, we ask the driver the same thing, like, hey, are you lost? And he goes, no, I'm not lost, I'm from a bread company. We just felt like you could use some bread. And he unloads exactly 500 loaves of bread. You know, that just means a lot of chicken sandwich. <laughs> Listen, like, like, there's, there's, um, the moment you say yes to Jesus, the moment, the moment that you say yes to him, you become a person of faith. And it's not because you created faith, it's because you just, you just kind of glimpsed at Jesus in belief and he came and made a deposit in you. And that becomes an abiding faith. And all of a sudden, you know, this, 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 this incredible loving God that you didn't even, you didn't even know existed or had a clue about, all of a sudden, like, He comes and puts a deposit of faith in you. And all of a sudden, He's more real than the table that you're standing next to. He's more real than your own life. He's, He's, He's Jesus. And this is, there's this abiding faith that comes into you that it's like, oh, I have a God who loves me. I have Jesus who, who paid for me. And, and, and this becomes your abiding faith. But how many of you know there's a difference between having a, an abiding faith of salvation and faith for a situation or a challenge or something that, that comes up in your life? And um, I, it's just been, it has been a journey for me, especially in the last, that, that I've, I've walked almost my entire life, but especially in the last probably two and a half years that the Lord has just been calling us um, into the deep, away from abiding faith, into, into deep water that we don't really understand. And um, I, I just want to run through some of that. We actually have a video um, that'll kind of give some context. Those kids are some of like the most, the dirtiest, most beautiful kids I've ever seen. We don't, I don't tell every every church this, but th- that last shot, um, like that, took us about mm, probably ten minutes to get a shot without them flipping us off. <laughs> it was hilarious. It just made us love them all the more. Um, this, we've been in Mexico for 30 years, and, and three years ago, the Lord um, like started speaking to us about the continents, and um, and like the video was saying, and 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 honestly, in Mexico, we got to this place in 30 years where we we we, tra- we transitioned from an orphanage to we became a church with an orphanage, and we have schools from preschool all the way to school of missions. Um, and, and all of the outreaches that go with it. And, um, and we just have this an enormous extended family throughout the U.S. and Canada that are, that are pouring into what God is doing in Mexico. And, and so the Lord started highlighting continents to us, and, and our whole team started praying into that. Well, Lord, what does that look like? And, and he was really specific about to transplant the best of what you do in different continents, that it would look different in different continents. And we were going, continents are really big. Like, like where, God? And, um, and so for about six months we prayed and then, uh, the Lord specifically spoke to us and said, um, that his eyes were fixed on Europe, that he was flooding this continent with his presence and that we were to be part of it. 
And, and uh, when God says something like that, you're just like, oh, I want to be part of that. That sounds amazing. And I knew no, we knew nothing about Europe. And we actually called um, Eric Johnson at Bethel right afterwards. And I was like, hey, this is what the Lord told us. So we're looking at, you know, we're looking at Europe. And he was like, do you know what's going on over there? I had no idea of I had no idea that this was the 500-year year 500-year Reformation and and uh, what God was doing through Awakening Europe and what God was doing. I, I knew you guys, but I didn't know the significance of what the Lord was doing in Europe, which was really encouraging. And so for six months we prayed, like God, okay, Europe, like what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? What's supposed to? And absolutely nothing. So we did what we knew how to do. We googled need. <laughs> And in all honesty, like we Googled and we found Moldova. And so Gina and I bought two plane tickets and we jumped on a plane to Moldova and drove through the entire country and just went, this, there's a lot of need here. And, and we could do something here. We could make a difference. Maybe this is where we're supposed to sow into Europe. And uh, we had a friend who was translating with us and we needed to drive her into Romania. And we didn't even want to go to Romania. And we drove, as soon as we drove across the border, Gina and I looked at each other and went, oh, we're supposed to be here. This feels just like home. And then through a series of events, took us to this building that we really didn't want to go to. We wanted vacant land because it was what we knew how to do. And uh, we walked through the doors of that, that enormous building. And, um, and the Holy Spirit just said instantly to both of, both of us, this is it. Which I instantly went into an argument with the Lord of, like, this is going to cost a ridiculous amount of money, Lord. Let's do vacant land. And he just kept repeating, this is it, this is it, this is it. And there's... Um, you know, and there was, there was this, there was this moment through all of this where, where we realized that, like, we had abiding faith for so much of what we were doing and so much for what, of what we were doing in the country of Mexico. But the Lord was calling us deeper and challenging us beyond what, what we knew. Um, in Matthew 14, uh, Jesus is trying to get away by himself because of the loss of, of John the Baptist. And he's, he's, Anyways, he's trying to get away to grieve, and he gets there, and it says that he sees um, that he sees a multitude of people that are coming towards him, or he sees them, and he perceives and becomes aware of their need. Like the word "see" doesn't mean he sees them with his naked eye, but he actually perceives and becomes aware of their need. He edos, and he turns towards them and heals all of their sick. The disciples come to him at the end of the day with another legitimate need. And now they just saw Jesus' perceived need and he moved towards it and became the solution. That's abiding faith. We have a little girl um, in, in, a, in our family care center which is preventing kids from going to, to orphanages. And uh, she was, it was a couple years ago, I think she was seven or eight at the time. And I met her dad at our church on a Sunday morning and he, he um, came first time, he comes up to me, he goes, this is the first time I've ever set foot in a church in my life. I'm like, it's fantastic. Welcome. So good. What's, what's going on? And he goes, I actually came to see what you guys have been doing to my children. <laughs> I'm like, I, okay, that sounds terrifying. And I go, what happened? He goes, oh, I've had, I've had a infected tooth for three weeks. I didn't have, I don't have any money to go to the dentist. The whole side of my face was swollen. I had a temperature and, um, anyways, I was just dying yesterday. And I go, well, well, what happened? And he goes, well, my little girl said this to me while I was complaining. She said, dad, I can take care of that. And, and I go, what did you do? He's like, I ignored her. What can she do? And I go, what happened? And he goes, well, she got her little brother who was five. They came over to me, pulled me down on my knees, and they put their, they both put their hand on my face and said, Jesus fixed his tooth. And I go, what, what happened? He, he's like this. And he's like opening his mouth. He's like, look at my face. 
Like, I don't have any more problems. It's like I have a new tooth. And he goes, what was that? (laughs) I go, that was exactly what your daughter said. That was Jesus and your daughter, you know, fixing your tooth that he paid for 2,000 years ago. And um, he actually met Jesus yes the day before and his daughter, but he surrendered his life to his, to him that day. That was abiding faith in his little girl, where she she just knew instantly. She saw a need and goes, "Oh, I can take care of that because of the great one that lives in me." But then the, we see that in Jesus. But then the disciples come to Jesus and they go, "Listen, amazing! We just we just we were part of this, and we just saw an entire multitude of people get healed. But like now, there's fifteen thousand people that need food." And Jesus' response to them in Matthew 14 is, is they don't need to go away, you feed them. And, and all of a sudden the disciples go, well, that's impossible. They're like, we, even if we had the money, we couldn't buy it. And there's this, there's this moment where they had faith for what Jesus was doing over here because they'd been doing it with him. And then all of a sudden Jesus called them into the, into the unfamiliar that they needed faith for. You guys alright? Here's, Here's the thing, like, my experience has been, like, like, he calls us into this place, and as soon as you arrive at this place of faith, and you feel like, I can take care of that, and you get your feet planted, he's already pulling you beyond your abiding faith into a situation that needs you that you don't have faith for. And I know in my own life, like, I've actually struggled with, with when, when I, when I get called beyond abiding faith, and I get called into this place of, like, Oh no, I don't even know what I'm doing out here. That there's almost this kind of guilt or shame about, about like, but I'm supposed to be a person of faith. Like, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, like, know how to take care of this. I'm supposed to not, you you almost feel like I'm in, in church land, like, almost like a second class citizen. Like, you don't want to communicate to people you're even struggling with this because you you should know what to do. Like, we're men and women of faith. Like, I said yes to the Lord. Like, I shouldn't be struggling with this. Is this just me? It's just me. All right, I, I was I was content with just preaching to myself, anyways. <laughs> I read this I read this a couple months ago, and it just really impacted me. It's it's in uh, Mark nine, if you want to go there, and um, it's Jesus. He comes off the Mount of Transfiguration, and he comes down into an argument of the disciples and, uh, and, a, and a big group of people. And they brought this little boy to the disciples to be healed, and they couldn't heal him. And so when, they come, when Jesus comes down off the mountain, everybody's fighting. And I'm going to jump in just a little bit further for time's sake. I'm going to jump in at um, 19. I'm sorry, 18. And wherever it... Uh, and so they said that, that the disciples couldn't heal him. Verse 19, and he answered him and said, Faithless generation, how, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him to, and then they brought him to him. And when he saw, he immediately, the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him into, both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And this is the part that just really gripped my heart. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe like just imagine like like this is this is your child 
And, and what I've read about this, this child's probably more like 18, 19 years old at this point. And his dad has been living with his, with his son oppressed by this sickness and, and devil for his entire life, where this, where this demon is actually trying to kill him his entire life. And, and the, he's with Jesus and he's like, listen, if you could do anything, I've heard stories about you. If you could do anything for my son, like do it now, like anything. And Jesus looks at me and he's like, listen, if you can believe, like anything would be possible. And you, there's this instantaneous response in the father of, oh Lord, I believe. And then all in the same breath, oh God, help my unbelief. You guys ever felt like you lived there? Like, like, like God's called you to something and you're like, yes, Lord, I hear your voice. I'm coming. And then you're like, oh God, what am I doing out here? Like, this is, this is insanity. And so we live in this place of like, oh Lord, like, I believe because you're supposed to say that. And all in the same breath, you're like, but I don't believe at all. But like, but like, if you can do anything, like show up, God. And so this is this is what really gripped me was was this father's like he's desperate. He's like, all right, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus's response is, I'm not going to read it, but Jesus's response is simply, he grabs the boy and pulls him into him and heals him completely. In other words, like this father goes, I believe, help my unbelief, and Jesus goes, that's good enough for me. And there's just something about, like, 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 we understand. How many of you guys want more faith? Like, I want more faith. Like, it's impossible to please God without faith. We know that from Hebrews. And if you jump down a little bit deeper into Hebrews, it says that he is a, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And he, and he rewards you with faith. Like, faith isn't something that, that we, like, we work really hard to attain. Like faith is, faith comes from spending time with the faithful one. You spend time with the faithful one and you'll leave filled with faith. Like I, I've tried really hard to like make it happen. And the only thing that happens is I get really discouraged. But, but I think the one, the one thing that I want to go after and the one thing that I want to communicate today is this, is that, that once you've arrived at a place of abiding faith, you own that place, you're responsible for that place, and God can do amazing things through you. But that's not the only, that is not where you want to live. Like there is more and He's calling you into the deep. Mexico, 30 years, it's like we've, we've, we've got this, we own this, we have these things. And He says, go to the nations, go to the continents. And we go, we have no idea how to do that. The only thing that, that we know how to do is move towards it with him. Um, we were, we were, uh, not this last Easter, the Easter before, we'd just come back from Romania and we'd walk through those doors and, and we'd argued with God and said, you know, like, that's just too much money. And he just kept saying, like, this is it. And he asked, he, he told me, like, why would you want to take 30 years to do what I can do right now? And, um, and, I, and we said, like, okay, Lord, but we don't, we don't know how to do this. And, um, we'd called the company and, and they said that they would sell it to us for $3.7 million. And that might have been, I mean, that could have been $30 billion. And, um, and they, and so we, we came home and we felt like we were supposed to, to communicate to our church that we were committing to buying it as a family, even though we had, I mean, no money. And, um, and so I'm walking through the chairs on a, on an Easter morning in our brand new campus and I look down and, and, um, and I'm praying and I'm going, God, like, 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 we'll do this. We'll commit to this as a family, but you have to, um, you gotta bring the money. 
because <laughs> we don't have anything. And I looked down, and there was a, a tenth of a peso, which is like scrap metal. And, um, and, 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 and I just knew it was a sign from him, like, this is what we're supposed to do. And, um, and so we, we stood up and we communicated to the church, like, we're going to do this. We're going to buy this building as a family. We even told them it was 3.7 million and, um, which we had nothing. And we started negotiations and they went from 3.7 million to 1.3 million. Yes. And, um, and then just, this people just started coming to us and we raised 400,000 in, in, in a matter of weeks and, um, or two months, and uh, we made a down payment and, and entered into contract, and we just moved ten of our staff into Romania, and um, and 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 we're still living in that place daily of Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, because we know what we have so far, we just don't know how it's how it's coming. We just have the word. And I'm going to stop there and pray with you guys, but um, I want to pray for two things, and that is. Um, why don't you guys stand up? The, two things. Like one, if you have felt bad because, because the Lord has called you in beyond what you have faith for and you, you have experienced like, I feel like a second class Christian almost like because I'm supposed to be a person of faith but, but right now I don't feel like a person of faith. I feel like that father that's like, I believe help my unbelief but, but there's this weird kind of guilt attached to that. If that's you, I want to pray into that and I want, I want to break that off because I don't think it's right. It's, it's, it's there that we increase in faith. We can cry out all we want and go, Lord, increase our faith, but he actually increases our faith in process. And so, why don't you put your hands out in front of you. Do this. If that's you and you, and you struggle with that, like, go ahead and raise your hand. Father, like you see the hands, you see the hearts of every person in this room, Lord. And, and God, we just thank you that you are not satisfied with where we're at today, but that you are calling us into the deep. You're calling us into two services. You're calling us into, into things that are unknown to us. You're calling us into new buildings. You're calling us into new ministries. You're calling us into um, new parts of the city. And so, Father, I just pray for every person that is acknowledging this, Lord, that that the, the negative connotation, like, like, God, I just, I don't have this. Like, that it would be broken off and that we would embrace and even celebrate the process. That we would actually enjoy this, this place of Jesus. Like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I don't actually have faith for this situation. I have faith for you. Yeah, God, I just, I just pray that there would just become an overwhelming peace to those that are in this process. And then, Father, I just, for everyone else, God, I just, I feel like we're supposed to, to pray that it would be significant that we would pray as a family for an increase of faith. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, increase our faith. And there's an element where he just started talking about stewardship, but there was something significant about the disciples coming as a group to Jesus, not just as an individual, but as a group. And I think this would even be timely for this house. And so would you mind grabbing the hand of the person next to you? It's actually like a pastor's great privilege to um, make people hold hands. Like I grew up in church and, and it's so uncomfortable and your hands get sweaty. And I was like, man, when I'm a pastor someday, I'm going to continue this because I can. <laughs> Let's just go after this. God, I just pray we come to you and just pray like, Lord, release an increase of faith.
Not just to us as an individual, but as a family. God, that not just as, as Vine Life Church, but the Church of Europe, that there would be an increase of faith and hope for the salvation of all of Europe. God, I just pray that there would be an increase of faith in this house for the, for the increase of this house. <laughs> yeah, just as the disciples came, as not just as one, but as a family, God, I just pray that there would be a true release of faith. I pray that the testimonies of even my parents of the chicken story of God, all we need is you. We just need to hang on to the word that you have released to this house. We just need to hang on to the word that you have released over each and every life in this place. God, that we, we don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, but we, we know the word that you have spoken to our lives. And so, Father, we just increase faith for that. We increase faith, faith for tomorrow. And from our house to yours, we just bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.